Welcome back to Through the Doors with Hunter Daly. I'm here with Doug and Michael Carpenter. And so I got to ask you the question to you, Doug. Uh-huh. What do you carry or what do you call the pocket like on your shirt? It's my shirt pocket, but I got my glasses and my ink pen in that pocket. Michael? I call it a frocket, front pocket. What do you carry in it? Oh, pins, phone, uh, bolts and nuts if I'm working on something. Uh, about anything I could think to put in there. Yeah. So, Michael, you left the farm for a little bit and went to school. What all has, what all changed through your high school years to through your college? Yeah, I uh, graduated high school in 2014. I went down to the University of Missouri for three and a half years and then come back in 2017. So, before I went to college, we were feeding in pens. We had Oh, 16 or 17 different locations we were feeding cattle in, driving in 15 of them and feeding in wooden bunks or uh, concrete bunks or steel bunks and within the pen driving through the mud and stuff like that. So uh, once I got back from college, we started kind of a improvement project where we worked on getting everything on a fence line where we could not have to drive in the pen and also invest in a feed truck to make things go faster for us. We invested in a feed truck in 2021. And since then, it's worked out pretty well for us. Did, was going in the pens and in the mud, was that hard on your tractors? And feed hard rides? on tractors, hard on your your motivation to want to do it every day, hard on just about everything. Yeah. Increase cattle injury or increase the potential for injury. And, yeah, getting stuck wasn't fun. Just it was time for some improvement. So with sure. all this rain that we just got, you all think you'd have been stuck quite a bit? <laughs> yeah, we're pretty well Cadillac running now since we don't have to drive in the mud anymore. So that yeah. that helps a lot. Doug, uh, what have what have you seen in your expand of lifetime in the cattle industry? Well, we we long time ago we used to be cow calf operation. And we got out of that and went to backgrounding cattle uh, many years ago. And uh, as Michael said, we we started with feed troughs and we had one farm that had concrete fence line bunks. And we, at one point we fed out of two harvesters also, but we don't do that anymore because they're obsolete or it's too cost prohibitive to keep them running. And so we operate now on about five uh, concrete uh, pit silos. Uh, they all they all have concrete floors. Four of them have concrete sides and one does not, uh, which helps with our feeding operation the way it is, be a little bit more, uh, we don't waste near, we don't waste much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get to eat about everything that we feed them. Or that we harvest. Gotcha. Uh, then we went from that to what Michael said, as far as the fence line bunks and adding a feed feed truck. We used to feed with two wag two wagons and two tractors. Well, first we used to feed with one wagon and a tractor, and that took ten that took four hours to feed, and then we switched to two wagons and two tractors, and then that cut it down to about two hours, three hours to feed, depending on whether we get stuck or not <laughs> driving in the pens, and so, and then Michael came, Michael and Mark came back for, to the operation and have added, added that. Plus we've added the skid steer. We've added the end up trailer. 
the whole all our own rock. Uh, the skid steer is, is amazing. It's we've we've added a lot of fence line. We added fence line bunks. Plus, plus we've added a lot of continuous fence. We used to have cattle. They we'd put them in a pen and well we'd cross our fingers if they'd stay or not. <laughs> and now we put them in, they stay. That's good. Yeah. Um, what made y'all want to change over just to the background instead of the cow calf pairs? It was a it's a lot it's a lot less tedious it's a lot less demanding as far as in the spring or in the fall whenever you calf and it worked better for our operation as far as the grain that we the grain that we had and the corn that we grew to market it through the cattle the feeder cattle instead of the cow cow calf we'd have to put up near as much hay either so that was one of the big reasons y'all had to put up quite a bit of hay and like just we used to we still put up quite a few quite a few big bales but we used to put up a lot of Square bales, and then we put up. Then we switched over to big bales about in the late seventies, early eighties, and it uh, a lot of labor. But then we went we went to big bales. It wasn't quite as much labor, but then you then you get more wastage because of the big bales, and we just decided to switch to to the uh, backgrounding, which worked better in our operation. So, uh, what, Michael? You went to college for. Three and a half years. Sure. What, what was it like in high school? You I mean you fed in the pens? Mm -hmm. Did you have to feed a bunch of hay? And oh yeah, uh, before we before I went to college, we mainly just fed uh, like just a quick dose of corn in the summertime with while they were out on grass, and then in the wintertime we'd feed just straight silage with a little bit of rolled corn in there with it, and then if we fed hay, we'd feed it in a hay rick in the pen. So. Uh, bring on the uh, mixer wagon and the feed truck. We were able to grind our own hay and mix it in the ration with the corn and the silage, and then got our in dump trailer. And now we're running down to Carrollton to the ethanol plant getting DDGs. So that adds some protein and kind of really tumbles everything together into a nice mix for them, and uh, really cuts down on our waste on all on all facets of our diet. Really, would you say the you want to get your own DDGs and your own stuff. Would that is that helping your cattle like grow faster so you can get them market quicker? Yeah, the DDGs is a really good protein source. It's really palatable. They like it a lot. So you can mix in uh, either lesser quality hay or mix it in with your nice high quality silage, and it really rounds out their uh, rounds out their nutrition plan. Get good gains on them. So Doug, what did, what did y'all do before you had the end up trailer and well, we we fit. It's like Michael said. We fed silage, and we fed we fed uh, cracked corn or, or shell corn, and that was basically what we fed. And then hay hay and bell rings. You didn't feed any DDGs or no, anything. We didn't fed no DDGs. But one other thing, Michael talked about with the with the uh, wagon. We've got a a mixer wagon now plus a mixer truck. We talked about this this morning. Uh, Normally, we have anywhere from five to I think one year we had up to 14 that we had foundered. And because it's all getting mixed up now, instead of just dumping the corn in the silage wagon and letting it get mixed up a little bit as it, as it feeds out, now it gets completely mixed up. So no calf stands there and eats, eats enough corn that it's going to founder itself. So this year, I don't think we've had, we don't have any foundered cattle. We, we were trying to decide how many we were going to butcher. 
and basically it's just going to be the ones that may have a bad foot or something like that not any that's found what when do y'all usually take them to market do y'all sell like we we start we start in july on our dry lot cattle that we've had in dry lot because we added that about three years ago yeah. about three years ago uh to add because we were feeding about 1200 to 1300 head and now we're feeding up to 1700 head because we put utilize our dry lots where we used to put everything had to go to a pasture and then we'd feed feed the rash we'd feed our corn or in our dg ddgs in the summer now we feed dry lot which they get that they get the whole get they get the whole mixture of the silage the ddgs the hay the balancer and uh crimp corn and we feed it in the in the uh feedlot to them and then they they, get, they grow a little faster than the other cattle because they're getting a, a higher protein or higher energy ration. And then so we market them in about July, August, and then we start, then we market the rest of them along the way too. And present time, we're almost done marketing. We've got going to sell 240. We're going to load 240 on Wednesday. They go through the sale on Thursday. And then we probably have maybe a couple hundred left and that's it. What do you mean by a dry lot? In other words, there's no grass. There's no grass in it. It's it's a contained lot that they get that they don't get to walk around. They don't get to go out in the pasture. It's just it's just dirt. Feedlot. 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 So whenever you let them out in the pasture, that's whenever you sell them off later on in the year. Yeah, they they don't gain as they don't have as high a concentrated ration as the ones that's on the dry lot uh, because we have to give them everything that they're going to eat because there's nothing in the dry lot to eat except for what we feed them. Mm -hmm. Now cows on the pasture, they've got the grass to graze on. Plus they have what we give them DDGs and crimp corn, uh, as part of the ration for, for that, for their ration in the summer. What made y'all want to start, uh, cutting silage, just corn getting too expensive and just, no, it's just part of what we, it's the rash part of the ration that we fed, fed our dry lot cattle. That's the main ingredient in our, in our dry lot cattle is, is, was the silage plus the corn that we put with it because we raise it too. And we, we've got a roller mill that we run through, through it that crimps it. And crimp corn is when, when you crack a whole, whole kernel of corn down into little, littler pieces. Yeah. It's also a matter of input costs as well. So the cheapest way we can feed our cattle is by crops that we grow. Mm -hmm. So. The way that we could chop silage, if we wouldn't be able to chop silage, we'd have to find some other source of energy for them. Mm -hmm. So then that would make it more expensive if we'd have to buy all that energy rather than chop our own corn to feed our cattle. So. And y'all had a pull-type uh, silage chopper. And... Yeah, we ran a pull-type chopper for probably way too long because we'd chop about 200 to 225 acres. And then that was a new, that was a... Uh, Innovative purchase in 2018 when we moved up to a self-propelled six-row chopper. And that that took 35 chopping days down to about nine. So that helped a lot with the quality of corn we were cutting and just getting everything wrapped up before the corn got too too dry out. Yeah. So, so we'd start out with green corn and green silage, and by the time we get done, it would be, it, the stalk was almost dead. It was brown. Yeah. We have to add a little water or something to it to help help it in the fermenting process. So would you just add water to the whole pit itself, or well, just wagons can, at a time? But pit, pit's harder to do than than a than an upright silo. 
upright silo, you stick a water hose with the blower and it goes up with it. But pit silo is harder to do. So whenever y'all are, whenever Michael came back to the farm, do you think this is like he's, him and Mark have helped the operation speed up in the mornings? Oh yeah, it's a heck of a lot more efficient. Uh, their ideas that they brought to the farm are, are great and uh, helping with, with the labor and making things a lot easier. And, uh, today we, we, so, we sort of loaded some cattle at a, at a farm and before it was, it was a potluck whether, okay, we're, are we going to get them all in today or not? Are we going to get half of them or three-fourths of them or are we going to get them all? And today they've been eating, where the, they've been eating in the pen that they, that they get caught in all year. So they knew that we knew that they were just going to get fed there, and then we we're going to walk over and shut the gate. We had them. And so is that is that in the dry lot? You can just shut them in the dry lot, and that particular one was a pasture pen. Yeah. Where we well, it's kind of a it's a hybrid really because yeah. we've got the lot that we catch them in big enough to where we start them out in that lot over the winter time mm -hmm. when the grass isn't growing, and then when the grass starts growing, we can turn them out. But they still come into that lot every day to feed to eat. Yeah. So they've been out on the grass all fall, and then when it was time to catch them and haul them this morning. So they came in to eat like they do every day, and we were able to just shut the catch gate that they walked through and caught them and hauled them out. So, Doug, you've seen the market go up and down. Do you think this the cattle market now is better than whenever it, you all first started? Well, it's higher, but it's, it's in an up cycle right now. And... Uh, Inputs aren't near as high because corn's back down to five dollars, and beans are beans are lower. So our soybean meal and the and our uh, protein is in part of our ration is lower. Uh, but it's it's just a cycle, and if you if you stay in it and feed cattle your whole life, you're going to catch the highs, you're going to catch the lows, and if you're the ones that jump in and out you're probably going to lose your butt because the minute you get in and they go down, then you get out, then you get out, then they go up. You just, you got, if you're going to race cattle, you got to stay in it and you got to do it, do it for as long as you want to do it as a, as a living. How long have you done it? Y'all uh, raised hogs for. I raised hogs till in the nineties and then probably. 30 years, maybe. Something like that. Michael, were you in the operation when they did cow-calf pairs? No, it was uh, before my time. It uh, was way before his time. Yeah, whenever I, whenever I came into the, the equation, it was just feeder backgrounding. So. Would you want to go back to that or no? Um, I had a little bit of experience with it when I worked at the beef farm down in Columbia. It's all right, but I like, I like what we're doing right now. You can... You can uh, run through and feed everybody in the morning and make sure everybody's nice and healthy, and then you can go along with your day other than cow-calf world where you've got to check on cows calving and heifers having trouble. And mm -hmm. Going out in the middle of the night, we don't have to do much of that. Mm -hmm. Just get them fed every morning and make sure they behave themselves pretty much. So. And after we get them bought, make sure they keep them alive. Yeah. What's the biggest sickness that you all run into? Uh, bovine respiratory disease is usually takes about 80% of the problems that we have. Uh, it's BRD for short. We've got some antibiotics we can use for it. So 
we try to get on that early. Uh, the uh, main benefit to how we switched up our feeding rations without having hay in the in the pen or uh, just feeding straight silage is it's it's uh, palatable enough for them that everybody that's healthy and hungry is ready to come up to the bunk every morning. So whenever we go through and feed like a new group of cattle and there's one or two that stay back and don't come up to eat, we know that something's probably wrong with them. So we can pull them and run them through the chute and see if they're sick or if they need, need something. That helps a lot with uh, early sickness detection. What, what usually causes that? Uh, changes in weather. Um, some of them, uh, they get it pretty quick after they run through the sale barn and we buy them. So that some of them show up on the farm with it. But, stress. Yeah. The stress of hauling, stress of cold. Yeah. Stress of some of them leaving their mom. Yeah. Oh, really? If they're, they not, weaned, weaned. they're not weaned long enough before we yeah. buy them, then they kind of don't know what to do with their life yet. So. Yeah. So how many cattle do y'all run per, per lot? Or does it depend on how, what size? Uh, we got varying sizes. So most of most of the newer ones we're building right now, we try to do about 120, which is two pot, two big truckloads uh, per pen. Mm -hmm. So we'll bring them in. You can get about 90 on a semi load right now at the at small small end, which is 550 pounds. And then we'll put about 120 in a pen. And then when they get to 900 to 1,000 pounds, you can fit about 60 on the truck. So Put 120 in a pen, and you got two trucks in the pen. Keep your math right. And it depends on how much grass or how many acres you got wherever you're going to put those cattle. Yeah. Spend the summer. Uh, some some the smallest one we've got has about 60 head, and the biggest one is about around 120 head. And some pastures are in the 80s that we have. Just depends on the acres of pasture we have in the, in how, the field. How much have you all grown since you you started farming? Like with the with the pen size and just the feeding operation, because hmm. you said it went to bunks. Well, we basically with the ground that we've had since I've been involved, we we've, we've run about twelve hundred and some head total, and then uh, because that was in about fourteen spots that we used to have cattle. Now we've got probably seventeen or eighteen spots, counting the dry lots and so forth. And which that's increased our average, our herd numbers up to 17, 1750, somewhere in that vicinity. And that's happened in the last five years, something like that. We really haven't added a whole lot of acres. Mm -hmm. We've just made the acres that we do have work for us a little bit more with yeah. adding, adding more, the dry lot fence. Make them more intensive for us. Yeah. So, whenever you, when you put fencing in, would you rather put the pipe fencing in or barbed wire? Well, it depends. If you're building a perimeter fence and a big pasture to keep them in, then then barbed wire is fine. Five five strands of barbed wire is fine. But if you're building a corral to to try to get them in and maneuver them in or catch them in, then you want then you want we use a six six bar uh, pipe fence and it works really good. Which one's more time effective? Well. As far as like uh, building longevity wise. or time it takes to build it. Time it takes to build it. Uh, if you've got enough people, you can knock out bar bar fence pretty dang fast. Yeah. Um, with uh, continuous pipe fencing, it's a, it's slower because you got to weld every weld every pipe to the post, and mm -hmm. drive every post, and it's uh, 
definitely worth it when you get done with it, but it, it takes a lot of intensive time to get it get it done. But it'll last a long time as well. So how long would it does it usually last you with, with uh, rusting out and Yeah. Um some of the stuff that was put in in the mid nineties is starting to show a little bit of of age, but for the most part it's if you can keep the water off of it and keep mm-hmm. keep it out of the ground, keep it off the dirt, then it lasts probably fifty years or better. How long does you barbed wire usually last? Hmm, we yeah. got some barbed wire fences on our farms that have been there for probably a hundred years or better. Really? There's trees that are in the fence line where the yeah. barbed wire is running right through the middle of it, so you know it's been there for a long yeah. time. But yeah. That's not saying it doesn't go without repair though. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Do y'all have to repair barbed wire quite often? Or? Yeah, we run every fence every spring and make sure it's all up to snuff, and we'll at least get them turned away and not not uh, enticed to want to leave the pen. So. Yeah. Do y'all run electric fence? In some places, uh, where we've got some perimeter fences that aren't the best, then it, either we've got a neighbor that uh, doesn't run cattle on it anymore, just doesn't regard the fence as much, we'll throw up a hot wire that way. It, they don't even have to get to the fence to to uh, want to go out, but for the most part, it's barbed wire or woven wire perimeter fences. Alrighty, I got a question for you, Doug. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite tractor? My favorite tractor. Mm-hmm. Well, the one I've had the longest is my forty twenty. I've had it since I got since I got first got married in nineteen eighty six. It had sixty eight hundred hours on it. Now it's got ninety. 400 i think and so that's probably my favorite tractor michael what's your favorite tractor uh my favorite tractor would probably be one that starts when i want it to and runs as much horsepower as i want to run it and does not throw any codes or break down on it. that would be my favorite tractor regardless of what color it is. uh that's one thing about my tractor <laughs> it does not throw any codes you don't have to worry about codes with this tractor. <laughs> but my other tractor, my 6430, it'll throw a code every once in a while. Well, thank you all very much. You're Thanks. welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Through the Doors. Be sure to tune in next time where I talk to another agriculturalist from my community, 